Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Say what, say what? Welcome back to the epic narrative. This this one is awesome. I, I you know, Abram is just, he, this is a lot there, right? He, I mean, he takes up good grief. A dozen so chapters and then you know we got joseph i think joseph deals i think we got like 20 i think is it, is it the last 24 chapters of genesis are all about joseph so you know we're we're in we're in in one of those epic stories within an epic narrative and i was reminded the other day um again that you know these these books i believe these books were written by moses and moses wrote these books while he's in the wilderness with the people of Israel that he had rescued from Egypt, which again it will be next year's epic narrative on the book of Exodus. But he's writing these books because he wants them to know their history. He wants them to know their heritage. He wants them to know where they came from, which is why he started with creation. He wants them to know this is who your God is, and this is who you reflect here on this earth. And these stories about the fathers of the faith, if we want to call them that, like Abram, I mean, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abram, these stories are are to remind them, hey, where we come from, our people, you know, people aren't perfect, but that does, that isn't their identity. And we get into that uh, many times, right, on the epic narrative. We talk about the fact that you can, you know, if Adam and Eve can sin without a sin nature, then you can sin and not be not have a sin nature either. God gives you a new nature. And your new nature is complete. It's not something that you obtain sometime later when you die and go to heaven. It's something you have now. So your choice to sin is your choice to sin. And in that choice, you get to uh, also say, that is not who I am. I belong somewhere else. I belong to someone else. Some, some, Yeah, someone else. Uh, I belong to a place of light and love and hope. I don't belong in a place of fear and worry and anxiety. I belong elsewhere. And that's the beauty of Genesis. That's the that's the beauty of this culture that God creates for his children is you're not from this place. You belong somewhere else. You belong to somewhere else. You came from somewhere else. You now are on a planet that allows you to uh you know, you've been uh, uh, given the power and the authority to represent where you came from here on this planet. And that's a, that's a beautiful, powerful, amazing concept that runs through all the narratives of Scripture. And, and, and in these epic narratives and epic stories within the epic narratives, we just, we just keep going back there. And if you've been listening, you know we do. And half the time, I don't even know how we're going to get back there as I'm, as I'm talking. And then all of a sudden, it's just right there. It's clear as day, like our identity and our purpose and our, and our, uh, our destiny. Every time I say destiny, I think of uh, Back to the Future. Do you remember that movie? You are my density, the uh, destiny. <laughs> McFly. All right, sorry. Genesis chapter thirteen. We'll see. We we this is this is a this is a good little story. Here we go. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev which is a region, right, with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. 
from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, or Bethel, <laughs> to the place <laughs> between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier, and we had, where he had first put up the altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. All right, I'm just going to stop there because that's a good little paragraph we're going to look at. So Abram went up from Egypt to, to Negev. Now, this is not a quick trip. It says that he was he went up with his wife and everything he had. In verse 2, it says he had become very wealthy with livestock, silver, and gold. <clears throat> this means even like if you thought it took a long time for him to get from from the Babylonian world, Babylon, Asia, Assyrian area, all the way over the Fertile Crescent. Like, yes, it did, but not nearly as long. Well, not nearly. I shouldn't say nearly. It was it was long. But then the cumbersomeness, the weight of what he was carrying. Think about the weight alone in a cart traveling on the dirty, dusty roads of of the desert. I'm not saying they were in the in the you know the deep, thick sand of the desert all the time, but gold is gold, silver is silver. It weighs a lot, and even on on regular roadways, if if that's what you want to call them. I mean, I I know they had them. They were they were padded down or matted you know matted pathways where caravans would travel, and they're traveling down through the desert. Their carts are heavy. And their carts get stuck and things break when they're under a lot of stress. And they have just basic transportational needs every single day. Because unlike, you know, our world where we get to stop for gas and it might take us 10 minutes to get out of the convenience store with a tank of gas. You know, they have to they have to stop soon enough and early enough and in the area big enough for them to bring their animals to places where they can be fed and watered, because if they don't, their animals drop over dead, and then their cart is really stuck. And they, it says that he was rich in livestock, right, and silver and gold. So not only the weight, but the livestock in and of itself. Now, remember, he got all this stuff because he was, in essence, entertaining suitors for his wife, which is just, just I can't, ugh, just so, uh, he should not have done that. But he became incredibly wealthy through doing that. And some would say, well, the ends justify the means. No, they don't. They don't. And he could have trusted God for that. No, did, you know, did, did God leave him, forsake him? Nope. Did God let him, uh, let him keep all the goods? Hey, this is what I know. When you work on your own and you get what you get, God's like, awesome. You know, you blessed yourself. You did good. Everything I know about God says that if we wait for his blessing, we probably would have done even better. That's that's the crazy part to me. It's not that God is like, okay, all those, all of your wealth that you worked so hard for, like I'm going to take that all the way because you should have waited for me. No, he says, hey, you did great. You did great. You worked hard. You did great. You, you know, in this case for Abram, you uh, you played a little deceptive game and uh, you got wealthy over it and they let you keep it because they're afraid that your God might come down and zap them again. Not that I zapped them the first time, but they, they gave me credit for it. So anyways, so you walked away wealthy. That just 
that's just re, you know that's that's you trusting in yourself if you trusted me then a whole lot more would have come because that's the way i work god works out of a generous heart god works out of an abundant heart i work out of a heart like that too uh it's just funny most of the time it has to do with food like if somebody asks me for a portion of whether it be you know the meat the mashed potatoes the the pie like it doesn't ice cream i go i go big i don't know it's hard for me not to go big uh if if i make a meal i want to make a meal in which if if everybody at the table only ate the one thing there would be enough of of it for everyone and and so that includes like mashed potatoes so i would make enough mashed potatoes so everybody could eat only mashed potatoes, and there'd still be mashed potatoes left over. I one time, uh, there were four of us going to have dinner together at the house, and I got nervous because I only had one whole chicken. So I went out and got a second one, and I baked two whole chickens for four people. Because in my head, I thought, well, what if everybody wants a drumstick? I need four drumsticks or four you know, chicken legs. I, I, it was, it was, yeah. And I remember bringing it to my table. My youngest son just looks at me. He's like, Dad, seriously? I was like, what? He goes, Dad, there's enough food here for Thanksgiving for the entire family. There's four of us. I was like, well, what if everybody wants a chicken leg? I, You know, chickens don't come with four chicken legs. Anyways, that that's just the way. I, so in my own little way to justify it, I say, this is the way God thinks. It's like, I'm going to make sure that there's enough so that everything you get is enough for everything you'd ever want. Now, I do know the reality is for a lot of people, they're like, well, I would really like to be rich and I'm not rich and God doesn't provide for me. And and we can get into all of that maybe some other time, but generally speaking, this is the heart of God, generosity and blessing, generosity and blessing. And if you want to bless yourself, he lets you do that. And Abram shows up with all the tents and the clothing and the rugs and the skins and the gold and the silver and the shepherds and the servant and the, and, and the extra security that he also was able to afford because he had all this, all this, re, all these resources. So he is his own caravan, and it takes a while for him to get from Egypt back up to where he's going. And it goes, it says he went place to place until he got back to where they had started. And what it means by he went place to place, it means he stopped by the same places they stopped on their way down to Egypt. Same campgrounds. When you camp a lot. You get, you get used to places, uh, and you'll find that campgrounds tend to be popular around areas that are within a certain driving distance from other popular areas because they know people that are traveling are going to travel approximately this many hours, and they're going to want a place to stay. Those who camp, tend, you know, they tend not to want to drive until 8 o'clock at night because they have to set up their camper or set up their tent. So they want to drive maybe, you know, six hours. They want to stop around three in the afternoon. They want to set up camp and then go out for dinner or make dinner or whatever they're going to do for dinner. Or they want to set up, uh, you know, and be able to go to the pool and relax for a little bit or go to the lake or or the pond, whatever, whatever is there. So so camping is kind of set up that way. It's not it's not the only way, but generally that's the way that you find campgrounds along popular routes. So on this route coming out of Egypt, there would have been popular watering holes, literally, 
watering holes where, where, where caravans would stop. And Abram is stopping. I don't think he's in a caravan because he is a caravan. There's probably people that are attaching themselves to him because of all the extra security that he has, because he has to pay that extra security, because he has so much money and flocks. And 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 uh, what else did I say? Oh, clothing and rugs and tents and skins and jewels. I mean, good grief. This guy was weighted down. So he goes from place to place all the way back up until he got to Bethel, to that place between Bethel and Ai where he had pinched his, pinched his tent earlier. So you can imagine... Uh, you can imagine his his rearrival, right? So in that area of, of Bethel and Ai, right, there's large cities, and when when a large caravan comes and parks themselves in the middle of a plain, everyone can see them. And when the flocks start feeding on various grounds all around the area, shepherds and other shepherds and other masters and other rulers, their their flocks are also. Uh, being fed in those areas. So rumor, not rumors. I, I would, a lot of it's just information, right? Information is exchanged. They did not obviously have a central uh, informational post where you would go. I mean, you could go to the city gate and talk to the elders, but a lot of them were getting information from traders, uh, not, not bad traders, like not treasonous traders. I just meant like people actually on the trade route, uh, merchants, shepherds, shepherd boys, runners, uh, servants that are coming in from various areas to purchase things, they gather information. And and it, it wasn't like uh, the, the culture was like you shared information because you wanted people to know what was going on. So you can imagine there's been this severe famine. Remember, they left with a severe famine. Famine time, even even if you traveled to Egypt or any or some would have went back over the Fertile Crescent, back toward uh, Assyria, wherever you went, some would have went along the Mediterranean and and found uh, you know the trade routes that we would call into uh, Turkey, Greece, maybe even as far as Italy. They they would come back usually depleted. They usually came back home in order to reestablish themselves and and put together uh, money again, you know, resources again, provision. They'd reopen the, the farms. They'd get their, what, few flocks they took with them because very few would take all their flocks. They would just take a couple of the breeders, and then they would kind of let the rest roam free, and hopefully they'd be around when we got back like or, or survive. Like it was kind of up to the animals to survive. So... Most people that came back came back almost like re in refugee type of, of status. And they're, they kind of had a survival uh, mentality. So Abram shows up on the plane that he had left. He shows up near the altar that he had built. And he is jack-stacked loaded. He, he probably doubled his wealth during a famine, which is insane. It's insane. When he showed up, everybody was impressed. They're all looking around going, holy smokes, what happened to him? Oh, he went down to Egypt. And I'm sure they recognized, you know, a lot of the, the rugs and the garments and the jewelry that was being worn. They were like, these are, he went to Egypt and got richer. He left during a famine and got richer, like doubled up. 
this is this was impressive. People were were amazed at what was going on. Now Lot, his nephew, right? Everybody knew that Lot was his nephew, but they they also knew he was like a son who was moving about with Abram. He had gone place to place. His flocks and herds and tents had also increased because Abram, you know, provided that for him. And as a secondary, in essence, son of Abram, when he was in Egypt, people would have treated him well as uh, and, and given him gifts. So although he wasn't as rich as Abram, because they wouldn't have given more to Lot than they gave to Abram, because that would have been disrespectful, Lot made plenty of money, in essence. I know money is, is a relevant term based on the culture, and so it didn't look like cash. It looked like silver and gold and rugs and clothing and tents and and livestock. And there's Lot, and there's Abram, and they come back on that plane, and it looks like a city has literally been put up probably overnight. The spread of tents and and corrals and uh, you know sheep pens. I mean, it, they just they were they just spread out over this whole area. And then the shepherds and workers started to take those those flocks out into the area, and they were running into each other. And it says, uh, verse 6, But the land could not support them while they, while they stayed together. We're talking about Lot and Abram. For their possessions were so great, they could not stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herd, herders and Lot's, the Canaanites, the Pezzesites. Uh, Basically, the other two large tribes of people, cities, villages, that were also living in the land at the time. So Abram's, Abram's herds and Lot's herds and their shepherds, they were separate. They didn't, like, they didn't all come under Abram's umbrella. And so they were out for their masters. They were out for themselves. They were out to make sure that they did a good job so they didn't lose their job. And as they're walking around, of course, they're running into people who have lived there for years. Remember, Abram moved in probably a year and a half, two years ago. So he's an outside force, and Lot is an outside force, and they are, in essence, foreigners in a land. They don't have a city. They don't own any property. Remember, they don't own this property. They just moved in, and they've clearly taken over, and they're starting to bounce themselves into the people who have lived there. Who have, you know, uh, uh, fed their herds, fed their, yeah, have fed their herds on this pasture and in this field for probably hundreds of years, and now they're upset. They're like, who are these people? And there's fighting that occurs. So because of all of that, Abram has an opportunity here. He has an opportunity to 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 work things out. Abram solves this opportunity through relationship. I mean, listen to what he does. So verse 8, Abram says to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Now, this is really beautiful. Because Lot could have, uh, Lot, Abram could have solved this through, let's say, the power of his calling. 
<laughs> Remember that he he uh, you know clearly had a call from God. He was in a in a pretty consistent relational connection to God. Again, I don't think he was when he went down to Egypt, but that was yes uh, yesterday's. That was um, the last episode. You can listen to that. But generally speaking, he had a close relationship with God. In that relationship, he had gone, you know, he he had he had learned that it's it's better to solve things through relationship than through power struggles. And he could have turned this into a power struggle. He could have turned this into a calling, right? There's lots of times that you'll run into people, especially in the Christian world, who have a calling from God, and when you when you run into it, a relational opportunity, <laughs> they will pull out the God card, right? Say, well, God told me that I'm supposed to do this. So you need to get out of the way, or you need to leave, or you need to find a different calling, or whatever. This is my legacy. Go somewhere else. This is my ministry. Go somewhere else. This is my reputation. Go somewhere else. But but Abram comes to Lot and he says, listen, we're basically, we are close relatives, which means we are really family. And I know that a lot of that comes from the fact that he, I think Abram, Abram uh, had a sense of responsibility because Lot's father, if you remember, Haran, um, according to legend, Haran swore loyalty to Abram because Abram walked through a fire pit and, and, and was unharmed. And because he swore loyalty to Abram, Nimrod immediately asked him to walk through the fire pit and, and Haran uh, burned to death. And so I think that there was a, a sense of responsibility that hit Abram that said, I need to take care of, of Haran's son, Lot, because Haran died out of loyalty to me. So he says to Lot, I'll tell you what, you get first choice. You look wherever you want to look, right, left, doesn't matter to me. You pick a spot. When you go, wherever you go, I'll go the opposite direction. We are going to, we are going to separate to such a, to such a place that we will not be running into each other. Our flocks can expand and we can have influence and we can interact with the locals and not be fighting each other. We, we should not be fighting each other. We, we, we should not be quarreling. This is not the way of heaven. That's what I think is the motive here. It's not that he doesn't want to argue with Lot. He could have crushed Lot. He could have made Lot a servant of his. He could have still taken, he could have completely emasculated Lot. He could have made him a, a puppet because who's going to argue with Abram? He's twice as rich as anyone else in the on the on the in the land. And Lot owes him everything. And he, you know, Lot is hundreds of miles from his homeland. And if he tries to walk away, Abram literally has a force of several hundred military men. He's like, he could just say, All right, you want to go away, you walk away alone. Like here's a you know, here's a bottle of water, have a nice day. So he he enters into a conversation rather than a confrontation. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. So Lot looked around and he saw the whole plain of Jordan towards Zor was, well, it was well watered. It was garden 
like, like the garden of the Lord. So it reminded people of, shall we say, their, their, their history lessons of the garden of Eden. It was lush. It was bright. It was green. It was filled with life, birds and, and, uh, what are the creepy crawlies and animals, like everything. This, of course, was toward the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot chose for himself that whole plain of the Jordan. And he set out toward the east. Now, it's not like these two guys were standing on like a, a cliff. And, and Abram's like, you go, you know, look around. Which way do you want to go? This, this involves a journey. So Lot either knew of this place or Lot actually went around and looked for a place. But either way, when he chose it, this was not like a 15-minute uh, a discussion. This probably went on for more than a day. And Lot thought long and hard and probably talked to some of his shepherds, and they said, you know what? If we got a choice, man, we should head down to the, to the plain of Jordan towards Zor. Man, that place is it's like the Garden of Eden down there. It's huge, and it's green, and it's amazing. So let's head there. So it says there in verse 11, the two men parted company. And Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could, could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk the length and breadth in, of this land that I'm giving you. So Abram went and lived near the great trees of Merimer, Merimer, at Hebron, <laughs> uh, where he pitched his tent, uh, and there he built altar to the Lord. So well, I, th I think we're going to finish this, this chapter today. This is, this is kind of cool. So Lot chooses a fabulous land, a beautiful valley, huge plain, lush and green. The size of his party, right, is going to have an immediate impact on his surroundings. And by impact, not only in the, in the way that they would be uh, traveling from feeding pasture to feeding pasture, but even though, you know, like I said, uh, you know, Abram's amazingly rich, I almost said filthy rich, but just he just has a ton of wealth lot is also incredibly wealthy and he has a ton of opportunity now that he's going to go to a, an area in which he can expand he he doesn't have to hold back on the breeding of his of his uh herds they can go all in breeding all the time anytime a, you know an animal was in heat they could expand he could use that wealth to purchase more servants, to pay more hired hands, more people to take care of them. He then could use uh, the the trade routes in and around the, that valley and, and the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah, both of which were big, vibrant cities. And he said he's going to have an opportunity to trade in and around those cities without even being a part of Like, again, he didn't buy this property. He just moved in. And when you move in with that kind of of uh, finance, you immediately start to influence those places. For it says he pitched his tent near the tent near Sodom. 
So he, what that means is he was bringing influence to that city. He was going to uh, use it not only, well, he was going to use his influence to perpetuate more wealth, which is unfortunately still true for anybody who's in politics, right? They use their their wealth to get into politics, and then they use their influence to get themselves more wealth and continue to build, you know, political clout and political, uh, what do they call it? In, uh, not influence, how power. Anyways, this is, this is the heart of Lot. This is what he gets sucked into. That's what it means when it says that he moved his, his tents. He lived among the cities of the plain. He was, he had influence right away. So this is, of course, this is after years of famine where most people have lost wealth and influence, and now a man of wealth shows up, and so you immediately want to tap into his wealth streams. So people would have would have wanted to increase their own flock, so they would have made contracts and deals with Lot so that they would, again, bring a, a breed and expand and, and trade and make money with Lot, and Lot, of course, would also make money. And then Lot would, of course, been given influence in the way that things are, uh, the way laws are written, the way trade uh, deals are made, the way real estate is distributed. He would have had a say in all those things. He probably would have sat amongst the elders, or if he didn't sit among the elders, he would have, he would have been somebody that elders would have come by to see on a regular basis. Now, when you have this kind of influence in this culture, you didn't spend a lot of time out in the fields with your flocks. You spent time in and around your tents and people would come and visit you, and you would go visit them, and they would have you over for dinner, and it would go, you know, all through the night. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was a. I mean, he chose the place on purpose because you see, Lot could have said to Abram, "I, uh, I think I'd like to hang out with you. I think I'd like to hang out with you." Now, the, now it's really key. One of the words here. In verse uh, verse 14, no, verse 13, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him. That word parted from Abraham means he didn't just part from him physically. He parted from him spiritually. Now, I don't know if it was the influence of, e of the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian culture of religion. I don't know if it was the, uh, the memory of of his father working uh, for the, you know, for the religious world of Nimrod and all the idols and the worship of those idols that he remembered. But it, when it, that word parted means more than just he went down the street or, you know, over the hill and through the woods and then landed on the valley. He parted from God as well, basically. Abram was the resource for Yahweh. He was the resource for this mindset of a, one God who rules all. And and I think Abram hoped that the families would stay connected, not only physically, but also in the favor and blessing of the Lord. And by giving Lot the opportunity to walk away, I think Abram was hoping that Lot would choose to stay. That, that was an option. He could have said, you know what, uh, uncle, you treated me like a son. I am wealthy beyond my imagination. Your wealth is way greater than mine. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay here with you. I'm going to send my flocks further away. 
we will, you know, I will set up a, you know, a substation. I'll go visit it once a month or something like that and see how things are going. But generally, I'm just going to stay under you. I'm going to stay with alongside you because I believe and love the Lord like you do. And I can't imagine living outside of you. He could have even used a different word when it came to parted from from Abram. He could have he could have said so. You know, Lot moved his things to the south where they could where they could flourish, and Lot you know continued to be blessed in the favor of of the Lord. Instead, it says he parted from Abram. He walked away from Abram, and in essence, walked away from the God that Abram served. Lot began to serve himself. Now again, I don't think that this is. Uh, Abram's fault. This is a choice of Lot, but I think Lot observed his uncle make an awful lot of money by serving himself down in Egypt. So I'm not sure what Abram's mindset is in, at this point, but I know from later on in the story, it's clear that Abram is expectant and hopeful that Lot either returns to God or somehow sticks with God even though he's walking away from Abram. His hope is that Lot would have his own connection to God and would return to a conversation or relationship with him. But in verse 15, God says, all the land you see, Abram, I will give to you, right? Look around, verse 13, 14, look around from where you are, north, south, east, and west. All this land I'm going to give to you and to your offspring forever. As I think I mentioned this last time on, on the last episode, the concept here is not that he would have legal possession of the land. Abram never owned the land. Abram other than buying a tomb for his wife, Abram never attempted to buy the land. You, stick with me on this. He had enough wealth to buy the land. He had enough influence that he could have just literally been given the land in order to stay in the area and keep his, his trade and his flocks and his influence in the area. Like they would have given him land. No king or or mayor or governor of a city would have would have refused Abram's presence. They would have found a way to work with him. Abram's understanding of what God was telling him had nothing to do with owning or taking over uh, physical, physically, like, 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 what do I want to say? Uh, declaring war one village after another. He's like, I'm going to give you this land. Abram understood. I'm going to have this land. I will literally fill this land with my family. Abram hoped that the, that, no, sorry. Abram knew that exiles, what if exiles and defeats move the people and change ownership? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Sorry, I literally just read my notes. I was like, what did you just write? So Abram never owned the land. He knows that if if you, you know, if you capture a land through war, you lose a land through war. Like what you capture things by is how you lose them. Changing of ownership happens all the time over the years. But the land, the land was going to be an inheritance. God says this land is going to be yours. 
You're not going to own it. You're not going to battle for it. The land is going to constantly be yours. You will possess the land. You will oversee the land. You will feed and be blessed by the land. Feed on the land, be blessed by the land. Your relatives will spread all over the land. He's like, go for a walk. Go anywhere you want to go. And when you're all done walking, understand that all of that, your relatives are going to be, are going to fill this place. They're going to have influence. They're going to have, they're going to have, uh, yeah, no matter what avenue you want to say, religious, religiously, they're going to possess the land. Um, uh, 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 through entertainment, they're going to possess the land. Through trade, they're going to possess the land. Through finances, they're going to possess the land. Through education, they're going to possess the land. You're not going to have to own anything. All of this is going to belong to you because of who you are representing on this earth because of where your identity comes from, which is all the way back to the beginning. Abram understood where his identity came from because of the way that he was trained and discipled through those who had been there. So it says, he. Uh, so Abram went and lived near these great trees, which were basically like redwoods in Hebron, the cedar trees, and he pitched his tent and he built an altar there to the Lord. So this is definitely separate from Bethel. It's south of Bethel. Probably uh, a good a good day's walk or more. And he wasn't alone. Please don't think that he was like this lonely old man wandering the wilderness, looking over it, going, you will give me this land. God promised me this land. He, I'm sure he had people with him. And he probably rode something, whether it was a camel or a horse or donkey. And he probably had carts of provision. And he was just like, let's, uh, we're going to go, we're going to go camping for a while. He separated, you know, the flocks were separated, the impact, uh, the feeding was, you know, he found other places for them to go. It was like a recon mission. He's establishing connections along the way. He's meeting uh, governors and mayors, as we would call them. I don't know what they were called there. Tribal leaders, family uh, elders. He's meeting kings, queens, princes, whatever. Like he's he's making all these connections. He's got money. They can tell that. He's got influence. They can tell that by the, the by the amount of things that he has. They've heard of him before. They've seen evidence of, of his flocks before. They love what he does. They they talk about him on the trade routes. They he sets prices based on what's available and what's not available. He understands, he, he learns and understands the governments of the area. He gathers information of the area. Like, this is not just a walkabout of, of you know, standing in the wind, look, squinting into the sun, uh, seeing the sunrise over the Mediterranean and be like, yes, yes, this is all mine. This is a man who understands what God's what God is telling him. He's saying, your, your relatives are going to be all over this place. And so he's out understanding where things are so that as his family expands and his influence expands, he can tell them where to go and he can give them insights on what's available. And he sets up a tent clearly very separate, you know, far away from Sarah. I kind of think Sarah might still be a little mm, miffed <laughs> at the way she was treated in Egypt. The fact that her husband played word games in order to provide for himself 
and in the end didn't protect her from being taken by the Pharaoh. Refused to tell the truth until the Pharaoh called him out on it. And then, you know, everybody travels home. And so I, I kind of think, you know, he stayed a, a far away because he's like, yeah, she's still a little mad. <laughs> but that's just me as a husband thinking possibly, possibly this could be an influential aspect on why he stayed where he was. But for me, one of the key things about his walk around was that it was way more than just a visual thing. He he wanted to see and understand the land that his family, his heritage, that was going to bless the nations based on the covenant that he and God had, that the wealth that he was going to obtain was going to be something that would influence nations, not just his line of, of, of ancestors. Like he understood that part of that was he would have ancestors that would influence and, and bless nations, but that he needed to know where they were going. He needed to understand the governments of the land. He wasn't there to take over the governments. He was there to bless those governments. He, under, he understood what he was doing. And he understood what God was promising. And I think that that's important to remember because I think he understood his identity from the beginning. He understood he was not there as a warrior. He was not there as a as a heavy hammer to crush people because that's not who God is. God doesn't come in swinging a sword and wiping people out. That's not his role. That's not his character. And you know what? I think we've covered it up a whole chapter of one day. Ladies and gentlemen, have yourself a fabulous day and I'll see you again next time on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Okay. Okay. Here's some thoughts. I, I, a uh, couple things. One, I wanted, I want to, um, I wanted to emphasize again because I, I'm working on, on, uh, next season, right? Next season's the book of, book of Exodus. And I don't know, I'm probably, uh, 15 episodes in and it comes up. You know, Moses is getting ready to release the people. He's, he's starting to do stuff. And uh, I'm reminded that when they went into the promised land, their plan was to wipe everybody out, just complete genocide the entire country. And somehow we all think that that was God's plan. We need to remember that it goes back to Abraham. Abraham knew that it was not God's plan to wipe everyone out through genocide. The whole concept is that you will inherit this, this uh, land, means that you will inhabit it. You will fill it with, with your relatives. You will conquer the culture with, with who I am, the culture of, of idol worship and, and immorality or whatever, whatever, whatever. You are going to conquer it through the belief in Yahweh, teaching them the ways of God. This is what was going to bring about the promised land. It wasn't about genocide, never was about genocide. We'll get into it more again uh, next season when we, you know, actually get to the promised land. And then maybe, maybe it'll be season four when we actually start dealing with all of, all of that through Joshua. But I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing season four on yet. I am so in the middle of season three. Uh, trying to figure out Exodus, it is, 
it's intense. There's a lot in there. There was one verse that covered 40 years of life. Like, how in the world do you do that? Oh, man, it was fun, though. I think it took me four episodes to get through it. Anyways, that's between you and me. We'll work it out next year when we're all together again. On with this episode. Another thought I wanted to drop in there uh, for a little bit more um, is the idea that Abram took the opportunity to handle a situation between him and Lot relationally. He could have easily pulled the I have a call from God card. He could have easily pulled the I'm your elder, um, my brother was your father, I've taken care of you since you were a child, I've given you everything uh, that you have, you'd have nothing without me. Like there's so many different ways that he could have went at this that so many other people would have done and specifically I think of spiritual leaders and parents that would have taken the opportunity to remind this person and again we're talking somebody that is like he's not like 16 years old right he's 40 something years old at this point he would have still took the opportunity to remind them hey listen you're not as big as you think you are you couldn't have gotten where you got without me you better just you better just settle down son and let me handle this and he could have handled it all that way but instead he's like listen lot you're awesome i'm with you Wherever you want to go, I will take the other way. I will give you the highest priority in picking where you want to go. And remember, when it says that he he left Abram, it doesn't mean that he physically left. It really speaks about a depth of relationship and specifically belief in God. He walked away from everything his uncle had taught him. He was going totally independent. And, of course, we'll see in the upcoming episodes just how much uh, that, you know, that how, how good that worked out for him. <laughs> As uh, most rebellion and independence usually does work out just so great for everyone. Don't you just love it when somebody wants to talk about how independent they want to be and they're going to make it on their own? And, and everything within me, and I had those thoughts too, I really did, but... But everything within me wants to look at him and go, really, are you, you are literally going to be the only person on the planet that this works out for. And, and you're so confident in that moment that it will. You're like, yes, it will. I will be the only one <laughs> that absolute independence and rebellion works for. Everybody else was a loser. I'm the only winner when it comes to this. Oh, and I think, to put it in the words of a wonderful Southern... Uh, culture. God bless their heart. Because <laughs> Lord have mercy, they're all coming back. <laughs> but we'll see what happens with Lot next week uh, as, as the story continues. But uh, thanks for hanging out. I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.